Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast... It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren. And this, my friends, is Jam Session, the podcast version 207, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. You're going to be on this podcast, man, because we have got a lot of very interesting things to get into. We have audio from Mike McCarthy that we will play for you so that you get a chance to hear it. We've got a former member of the Dallas Cowboys who thought that Jerry Jones' daughter would be hot with an upskirt photo. And we've got all kinds of random weird things to get into on this one. But we got to start it off as we always do. Because I don't know. I have no idea. Did one of you guys get in a car accident in the last couple of days? You're like, oh my, I did get in a car accident, Matt. Well, did you call Greening Law? Like, oh, I don't know. What, what? It's free. The consultation is absolutely free. It's 972-934-8900. They are your legal competitor against the insurance companies. If you've been hurt in a car accident, if you've experienced malpractices, injured on the premises of a business, your first call needs to be to Greening Law. Dude, and the call don't cost you nothing. Like, literally, it costs you nothing. Pull out your cell phone, tap in the number, and say, hey, Greening, here's my situation. What do you think? And they'll either say, yay, Come aboard. We'd love to have you as a client. Ah, it's not quite a good fit for us. But uh, let me tell you, if they take you on as a client, you indeed, my friend, are the lucky one because they're going to grind for you for one reason, in addition to the fact that they want to make sure that you didn't take care of it. But they don't get paid unless you get paid. That, to me, is the best incentive motivator ever. Indeed it is. It's 972-934-8900. Again, the number, 972 972- 934-8900, write it down, keep it in your car, keep it with you, memorize it, whatever you need to do. It's Robert Greening. Call now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. So Mike McCarthy, ah, the head coach of these Dallas Cowboys. I thought this was really interesting, and it's funny because I had listened to this, and then you had sent the YouTube clip to me later on. But Mike McCarthy was on the Rich Eisen show, and... He did about 20 minutes, and I got to say, the Rich Eisen show is not when Mike McCarthy calls into the fan, all right? (laughs) Which is nice. There's not this coddling of let's tiptoe around the questions we want to ask him. This is Rich Eisen in in a solid way, asking him some pointed questions that I thought were nice, nicely done. I I thought it was actually a pretty solid interview. Did, Did you? Well, let me say it like this. 
Ultimately, yes, but I don't like Rich Eisen. I like Rich Eisen, the dude. Yeah, I don't. I can't stand his interview style. Yeah, it's to me, it's kind of a, it's a mealy mouthed kind of. Hey, what do you think? It's way too long before he gets to a question. Yeah, but that's just me. But he got answers, and that, as I tell my class at SMU, is the ultimate thing. Is your job is to get answers. Now he goes about it a different way than I would, but he gets answers, and to that, that makes him a good interviewer. So we've got some clips here that we pulled from that interview. And again, this is as heard on the Rich Eisen show, but I know not everybody, I mean, I'm, look, I don't watch or listen to Rich Eisen unless it's somebody that I want to hear like Mike McCarthy. I'll be exactly. honest. I, I think I've probably heard just a handful of interviews that Rich Eisen has ever done, but it's always somebody like that that I want to hear because when you're as connected as Rich Eisen, guys will just come and do whatever you want with them. So We've got a few cuts here, so let's start with this one because this is his answer. Rich Eisen basically asked him about facing criticism, the final call at the end of the Cowboys playoff game, the fake punt, that whole situation, and and asked him about how he handles that and his thoughts now that he's had a couple of weeks. That just kind of goes with the territory. You know, when, when you lose, you know, criticism's going to come. It's going to come heavier and harder than – probably you've ever experienced in your life when you when you work at the Dallas Cowboys you know that's that's part of the landscape so I mean so that's why you, you just keep plugging and you know even if you go back to the last play at the you know in the San Francisco game maybe you just uh, chalk it up to throw two Hail Marys in honor of Roger Stallback and Drew Pearson and give it a shot so I mean I mean you can you can look at all those things uh, as far as you know your evaluation but you know, it, it's about making the players successful, and the, and the players have to have it cleanly um, as far as the way it's repped, the way they feel comfortable with it. And you know, I've, I've been at this a long time, and um, I've seen some great plays on on film, on paper, at practice. But if it's not oiled up, and if it's not totally, you know, dialed in, uh, then it's you know, the chances for it to be successful on Sunday are, are not as high as you want them than they need to be. So that was basically that whole thing about his handling of the criticism. And, and I thought it was interesting, his response to that, because that was almost like a tongue-in-cheek, like, what do you want me to do? Call back-to-back Hail Marys and, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> he has, and, and you'll hear this, and I think that's something to listen for, because we've got six clips. There's a variety of different ways that he almost comes across, to me, I thought is like a little sarcastic. He mentions multiple times, hey, I've been doing this a long time. That type of thing about, I, I know what I'm doing back off without actually saying that. Well, I think it's, it's I always think it's better if you just say that. <laughs> Instead of being somewhat passive aggressive about it, man. And uh, sometimes I think cats come across uh, better if they're just upfront with it and, uh, and dealing with whatever angst that they have about a certain situation. But, uh, you know, Mike McCarthy has been a good football coach. Uh, they had, I mean, the Cowboys won 12 games last year. Let's, let's not sneeze at that. They've only won more than that one time ever. And so um, they had a good season, but it ended with a thud. They weren't that good the second half of the season. And so you just got to take whatever comes with it. Indeed. And, and so there's been a lot of speculation. And I think one of the things that we all thought, and, and hell, you and I had talked about it. Look, if you're getting rid of Mike McCarthy, you better do it before Dan Quinn leaves. Because Dan Quinn could just walk in and take over as head coach. And this is a lengthy answer. This is about a minute and a half. But this is Mike McCarthy, his thoughts on that situation with Dan Quinn, his conversations with Dan Quinn, and how he addressed that situation and what all that means moving forward. But here's McCarthy on Dan Quinn. The thing about Dan, 
Dan Quinn being here is, was very important to me and our organization. You know, I think it's uh, the reality of it is, you know, Dan and I had visited long before he ever took a, uh, a head coach interview, frankly, long before the playoffs even started, mm-hmm. you know, about uh, how happy he is here, um, you know, and, and I envy him in some ways where, you know, as a head coach, you get pulled away from the things that really you're, you were would help you advance in this league. So, I mean, the joy that he was having coordinating, uh, he's been a tremendous asset for me, you know, personally and professionally, just, you know, just having another, uh, you know, another individual with, with the experience of, of a head coach. So, um, you know, we talked about him staying here, uh, you know, long before he even took it, took the interview. Now, obviously when he took the interview and then this, you know, this, this narrative broke out, uh, I think it in reflection to the relationship that Dan and I do have, you know, he just said, "Hey, man, if I'm not comfortable with this narrative, um, you know, if, if if you really feel like I need to take one of these jobs, you know, just be honest with him." And I, and I we kind of laughed about it, and I just said, "Dan, ten to twelve years ago, I'd, I'd tell you, please get the hell out of here. I don't want to deal with this." But the, the reality of it is, um, I'm about winning. He's about winning, and the best thing for the Cowboys is for Dan Quinn to be here. And you no, know, obviously it was his decision his alone but i you know i clearly wanted him to know from from the start of all that that uh you know i wanted him here interesting that's a whole lot to soak in man it is i i like the fact that he goes yeah 10 years ago i said yeah. nah man get up out of here and bounce um i think some of that is uh the security that you have in the job that you're able to do and frankly man um when you're if let me see how i want to say this if you are if you believe if you believe that you're really good at your job, then you're not threatened by other people who are good at their job. If you're not good at, if you don't believe that you're good at your job and you believe that you're faking it and tricking people, then you can't stand to have somebody else who's good at their job with you because ultimately they're going to show your flaws and show really just how worthless you are in in that particular job. Uh, and I've known some people like that. And no, 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 no. I'm not talking about Will Chambers. I'm really not. <laughs> okay. No, I mean, it's like for real, I'm not talking about him. Uh, Will had different issues. Yeah. Uh, but Will's a good dude. We just had a couple issues at work, but he's a good dude. Um, the guy I'm talking about I used to work with was not a good dude. He's a faker. He's a shyster. He's, he was always trying to create this image that he was really doing something, and he really wasn't about shit. Um, you know, but he, he was a master at pulling off this fake image. But that's also why he didn't want to ever be working with certain people because he knew he'd get exposed. Yeah, I thought that that was a fascinating answer as well. And, and it, it really spoke to me kind of the mindset. Like you said, if you have that comfort, that security in your job to know, hey, I'm the head coach, the best CEOs, the best people that have a lot of success a lot of the times will hire people that have skills and do things better than they can do. Mike Hell McCarthy's yeah. an offensive guy. And to me, it makes a lot of sense where you may look at that and say, I, I'm not a defensive guy. This dude can coach the hell out of a defense, and he knows. Look, let me put my ego aside. If Dan Quinn is here, we are a better team with Dan Quinn here. Simple dude. as that. Yep. And I think him saying that and realizing that I want to win – I want to win another Super Bowl. That lifts his legacy, and he becomes greater all time, of course. If you win, and if Dan Quinn can help you get there, then you want Dan Quinn in your camp. It makes a ton of sense. We all wanted Dan Quinn to stay. 
Dude, you want to do whatever helps you win. That's the key. Who helps you win? And uh, if you think Dan Quinn helps you win and you're secure in your ability to coach and be a, a, a good coach, then, yeah, that, that doesn't bother you, man. Yeah, I thought that was, I really, that's probably that Dan Quinn answer. And there, there's a couple of times in this interview where he went for a while on his answer. And I thought that was one of the good ones of a guy who has kind of, and I think we all get to that point. I mean, there, there are times like, like I work with a couple of people just on my radio show and I've done, we've done this when we had interns, I'd always tell them, I was like, look, whatever ideas you have, whatever it is, put them out there. You know, maybe I like them, maybe I don't, but we're better with the more people that are helping, like I'll guide the ship cause it's my job, but the right. more people who can help and to throw out things, maybe you have something I didn't think of. I don't know. Right. But if you don't tell me, I'll never know. Maybe you have a great <laughs> idea. No, I, I think that's uh, I think that's key, man. I really do. I agree. So next up we move on. And, and this is basically just him and his ideas, his thoughts on how you move forward after really it was a rocky, I don't know, two weeks into the season, not just on the field, I mean, with, with what the results of what were happening, but off the field and all the speculation, how he moves forward here. As far as what happens next and all that, I think that's really just part of the landscape. You know, you know Jerry's the owner, he's the GM, and I mean, he's, you know, he's uh, always taking a 360-degree view of everything. Um, and I think it's like anything in life. You know, we have a lot of one-on-one conversations. Uh, we we discussed all these things. You know, we we um, you know, I never once felt that I was not going to be the head coach moving forward. And 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 frankly, I've been at this long enough. That's that's all I'm focused on. And I think the players, the coaches, football operations is is really is my main hold. I'm the leader of this football team, and I'm about winning. And that's that's all I've ever focused on, and that's all I ever will focus on. See, and, and again, you hear him, and, and he does that a lot. He, he mentioned that with Dan Quinn. He'll, I think we have another clip where he'll mention that. that all he cares about is winning, and he's been doing this a long time. <laughs> and he wants you to well, know that. Well, you know, that's more of what I like. I mean, for real, I mean, if that's what you're doing, dude, let, let us know what you're doing. If that's how you really feel. Yeah. And uh, clearly, that's how he really feels. Like, he wants to throw his, mes- his resume on the table like you did at work the other day. Yo, here's my yeah. – Here's my member. Check it out. It's it's pretty. It's big enough for me to be a porn star. And so I think that's what that's what McCarthy's doing right there. And I don't mind that, dog. I mean, I mean, I just don't. If if you believe in yourself and you think you're that twelve letter cuss word, then go be that dude. Yeah, man. I mean, I I agree. And there is a lot of McCarthy and how he presents himself that is nice. It, it, but again two years into this thing and maybe that's kind of at the end of all these clips what I'm taking away is look I like the I like the attitude when he got hired and I like his mentality he seems to be that type of hey I'm all about winning let's go win and I like that you say that now I want you to actually go and do it well yeah that's the that's the that's the other deal that's fantastic you know hey I I, have Dan Quinn's here that's great it makes us better well then win a damn playoff game at the end of the day But we've got, and this is one thing, and he, he said this a couple of times in different ways throughout the interview, but I thought this was an interesting, his kind of his mentality and his description on what it's like living atop the mountain of the NFL. And I mean, from an attention standpoint, a scrutiny standpoint, there are no more eyes and no more cameras anywhere else in the NFL than there are in Dallas with the Cowboys. And he kind of addressed that and what that's like. Are these narratives unusual? Absolutely. Um, I've never 
dealt with anything like this. Um, do I wish I didn't have to come on here and answer questions about it? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I wish we were talking about something else, but um, it is part of it's part of our landscape, and um, I, I just think keeping things keeping things real and keeping things focused because at the end of the day, it, it's about the people that you're in charge of. It's about the people you coach, and most importantly, it's about our locker room. And our locker room's about winning. Uh, I love our players. So there you have that part of his answer. But, and again, that just kind of jumped out to me because he mentioned that a couple of times, like, hey, man, here, like, I've never dealt with anything like this. I've, I, this is unusual. Yeah. And he's talking about the scrutiny of, of what it's like with the Dallas Cowboys because you don't get this in Green Bay. You don't get this anywhere. The nonstop 365, what's going on, that whole mentality of what it's like having to deal as a Dallas Cowboy with local media and all that. No, it's a different world, man, and um, you can't really explain it to some people until they get here, and that that's understandable, man. I used to, um, you know, I worked at the Morning News for 20 years, and uh, we had people like, uh, you know, Albert Breer there before he became big time in MM, whatever it is, Monday morning quarterback at SI. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ian Rappaport came through for an interview, and I spent an afternoon with him one day, and various other big time people people who are big time now. And I used to tell them all, man, this ain't like any place you ever worked, bro. Like the intensity here is not like any place you ever worked. And if you don't want that kind of intensity, I I used to say it's like playing for Indiana when Bob Knight was at his prime. Mm. If that's not an atmosphere you want, then brother, this ain't the place for you. Now, if you can handle that atmosphere, you can really use this thing to catapult and do great things because you got the resources and the money and the prestige of everything with the Dallas Morning News to do whatever you want to if you're really good and you grind on it. But if you can't handle that atmosphere and that pressure cooker, then, dude, the, the, you, you ain't going to thrive here. And I used to tell people, don't lie to yourself now. You know your personality. You know what you're really all about. And if you don't want that Bobby Knight coaching, don't come here. If you do, shit, man, come on. We'll have fun. Yeah, and, and that's kind of – it was just interesting because I don't know that I've ever heard him address something like that. And the fact he mentioned it – and that's not the only time in the interview that he brought up the unusual situation of what it's like to go through all this. And I, I kept thinking, I was like, yeah, it's, it's one thing to say, hey, I'm ready for this. I want to be head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. It's another thing to live through it and be constantly bombarded as, as you are in that position. The quarterback and the head coach and the stars of this team get it here more than anywhere else. More than anywhere else. But check this out, dog. Yes and no. Like, he ain't even getting a real deal because COVID has affected this That's true. That's very true. Like, (laughs) the media that he's facing is probably one quarter of what it would normally be. Um, You know, because he doesn't even know me. You know what I mean? Like, I've only only spoken to him on Zoom a handful of times. I never got to meet him really in person because he showed up during COVID. And we just haven't been able to get out there unless you're one of the five or six beat writers. Um, And so, you know, he's only getting a very small version of what it's all about to be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And even that clearly is taxing. Yeah. I mean, he's already complaining about just what that is. So two more cuts for you. And this next one is kind of his his thoughts on the team, the team that they had this year. And he he does admit that at the end they just they, they failed. The advancement we made from year one to year two, year two was was impressive. Uh, we know we have more to offer. Um, the emotion and the sting of, you know, how we lost is real. Uh, but 
uh, in my lifetime in this league, um, it'll make us better. And I truly believe that. So it, it's part of our process and it's part of our hard, hard learning experience. Um, uh, but, you know, I'm not naive to the fact that you you got to take advantage of opportunities when they're in front of you. We did a lot. We did a lot of really good things, some, some great things this year. Um, but, you know, we didn't play our best football at the most important time in, in our last game. And that's and that's what we have to really focus on moving forward. Yeah, you do. And, and it, it's interesting. A couple of things, that whole idea of you got to take opportunities when they're there. It, it's and you and I have talked about this. That's something the Cowboys have failed to do for many, many years. When they have a team that was good, especially in a year where there wasn't a standout dominant team, this was an opportunity for them that they wasted. And McCarthy basically is admitting that. And the, and the other thing that I get it when you lose and you go through challenges, it, it, it helps you learn. I think that's more as a person. I don't know necessarily that benefits the team and makes the team overall better, but Maybe it makes Dak look at things differently and some of the leaders of this team approach things differently. Who knows? I mean, I think sometimes it's a process uh, to figure out how to get it done, to how to make plays at winning time, to how to uh, understand when a game is there to be won or lost and, and really turn up your intensity. So I think all of that can help. Uh, the problem is you don't get a lot of chances, man. You know, like this is, you know, the, the time where you get five or six years to build a team and go have kind of gone by the wayside. It's like you just have to win now. And that, to me, is ultimately the most frustrating thing for Cowboys fans is you've had these these really outstanding teams at various points. And we tell you all the time, 07, 14, mm-hmm. 16, 21, and you don't make a single run any of those times. And you've had different quarterbacks and different star players and different coaches. And so it's not like you can sit there and blame it on one person. It's just the totality of the frustration. Yeah, which builds up for everything that we've been discussing since the end of the season and why all of the fans are pissed off, frustrated, all that. We all feel that. The final one, he did address it. He was asked about Sean Payton. He was asked about Jerry Jones. And here is Mike McCarthy's response to Rich Eisen about all of that. Talked about Sean Payton's narrative also. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's been discussed. It just the conversation was, you know, uh, you and I are in this, you know, back to back, and uh, you know, it's a partnership, and you know, just focus on what we need to do moving forward. Um, and you know, and he he made some personal comments about you know how, how he feels about it, but you know, that, that's really for for him and I. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I'm very very comfortable with our relationship and our dialogue. I mean, it's uh, at the end of the day, uh, we we both want the same thing, and it's. Uh, and it's to you know to win the world championship and and hey and definitely the narratives are unusual. At the end of the day, I, I think you have to you got to trust the relationships and the, and the communication and the connection that you have. Oh, there it is again. The narratives are unusual, and he wants to win. I mean, that, that to me was the theme that I took out of this twenty-minute interview. It's weird in Dallas. I'm getting a lot of scrutiny, but I want to win, so let's just go win. I think I think that's I think that's uh, that's pretty much what the deal is, man. And, um, you know, I don't know that, again, anybody can figure it out exactly what it is till you're in the eye of the storm. Uh, but maybe this is helping him get a, get a grip on it. And uh, this is a different place, man. It's a different place. And uh, you got to figure out how to get it done here. And if you can get it done here, every place else seems like uh, small potatoes. And I thought it was interesting how he, he's like, oh, yeah, Jerry and I talked about Sean Payton. And he had some personal thoughts on it. And I'm not going to share those. And I just, when he said that, I wondered if Jerry was like, look, if I could get Sean Payton, I'd get him. Let, let me tell you, frankly, Mike. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know, bro. I don't know. I just think that it's, um, 
here's the deal, man. And and I say this because when I was covering the Cowboys, I was I was terrific at it. When you're good at it, man, you just can't get caught up in all the bullshit. Yeah. When you're good at whatever you do. And I remember me and you talking a lot. Uh, me, a little bit more than you, but I think you came on board down the road, and you'll correct me if you didn't. Um, when we used to get ratings all the time, it's like, dude, if we believe the show is good, fuck the ratings. Like, they'll come, but let's, you know, we can't obsess over them, bro. All we can do is, I think we're good. You think we're good. I think yeah. we're good. We're getting good feedback from Catlin. So the show is good, and at some point, the ratings will match what the show is. But we can't get caught up in the ratings because we know we're good. And when you know you're good and you believe it really, then it's a lot easier not to get caught up in the bullshit. Yeah, that's very true. And that's especially, I think we all have those goals, and and I can understand that. And who knows, who knows what the real belief, I think that that's probably where the, the greatest disappointment is, is they looked at this team and knew they had a team. I mean, McCarthy, as he said, he's been doing this a long time. You know when you have a team that is capable of winning a championship and when you don't. Now, the owner will go out there and sell hope regardless. But the people in the room, they know. I mean, guys that have been in this league, they know, especially a Super Bowl-winning head coach, look, we got something here. We got a team that's capable of doing this. And I think there's real disappointment, you know, to go back to kind of the ratings analogy, when you know that you have that. And there are times, even in the radio industry, it happens here. Because of the way they do radio ratings, where sometimes your ratings will be off, and you go, what the hell? You know, and you dig into it, and, and they'll say, oh, this this or this happened, and, you know, through no fault of y'all, y'all are doing the same show. The ratings should be what they were last time, but because these two people are no longer participating in the ratings process, your ratings have dropped, and so now that affects everything. And it's kind of one of those, you go, well, that's, you know, and you look at it, you go, how in the hell, like, what? And there's nothing you can do about it. Right, right, right. So you just regroup, you come back, and, and you keep doing what you're doing moving forward. And there are times, you know. And that's what they're going to do. They're going to dig in. They're going to look at the play calls. They're going to look at things. Could we do some of these little things differently? Like we used to analyze our show. We were on from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And we'd sit there and go, okay, well, why does this segment consistently maybe be lower? Do we need to do something different for 15 minutes? I mean, literally, we would analyze it to that point. You know, and Alan would walk in and lay it out and be like, hey, man, you know what we're doing here? This really works. Maybe if we tried something more similar to that in this 15-minute segment here, that it would boost it a little bit, which makes us, I mean, all that type of stuff. And, and that's kind of what the Cowboys are doing, going through with the fine-tooth comb. No, nah, no, nah, you're right, bro. And, uh, but they got to they get it. See, ultimately, we went from dead last to number 11. Yeah. And so they got to make the same kind of jump. We did indeed. And we did what they <laughs> thought couldn't be done on that station. Hell yeah. Which is why they bought us a bottle of Johnny Walker Blue. Hell yeah. Ah, good times. Hell yeah. We got some fun stories. We have a lot of stories in the block that I want to get into. So let's do that. But as usual, let's tell you about our fantastic sponsors making all of this possible. And you got another weekend coming up. Is this the weekend, President's Day weekend? Is this the weekend that you decide, hey, you know what? Let's go out and get that new car. Let's, but I don't want to get a new car. I want to get a, a new car for me, but a car that I can trust, that I, I know is good, that's used, that somebody else took that initial hit on. That's where Blue Star Motor Group comes in. And I will tell you this. A lot of people do these President's Day sales. They're doing that because they have all this large overhead and they got to make you think you're getting a great deal. Blue Star Motor Group doesn't need to do any of that. 
because you're already getting a great deal with them. And, and you need to include them in the process of buying a vehicle. It is super easy. And I'll tell you this. You could even be, maybe this week and you're on your way to another dealership. I'll tell you this. Text Deb. Don't even, you don't even have to call her. 817-881-4066. Shoot her a text. Hey, I'm looking for a vehicle. I hear about you guys all the time on Jam Session. Here's kind of what I'm looking for. What can you do? She will get back to you pretty damn quick. Oh, hell yes, she will. And then she'll go make it happen, man. She's a deal maker. She, there's no finance manager she got to talk to. There's nobody. She is the epitome of omnipotence. If you want a deal done, Deb can make it happen, man. And uh, the thing I like about Blue Star is anybody you talk to who's dealt with them, man, it's all about the win-win. Literally, it's all about the win-win. They want to win. They want you to win. And we all know that ain't really every car dealer's deal. No, not at all. And, and that's what they do. That is why you need to include them in your car buying process. Superior quality, Carfax certified, pre-owned vehicles of all makes and models. You can check out their inventory online at bluestarmotorgroup.com. Give her a call or shoot her a text, 817-881-4066. Or again, online, bluestarmotorgroup.com. And of course, as always, you know him. You know him well. It is our buddy Hector. Hector Flores with Modern Woodman of America. I'll tell you this, it, it, at some point you will wake up and you'll realize that financially you're not where you want to be. You're not sure what the future looks like. And it's a nerve-wracking feeling. You don't know how to handle this. That's where Hector comes in. Modern Woodman of America is a fraternal financial organization. It's non-fee-based. It costs absolutely nothing to meet with him. And as Hector will tell you here, it's, it's a fairly easy process. My own personal testimony, so when my the guy that recruited me, you know, when he, he got into this business years ago and he called me, I was like, uh, man, I need to, but I don't want him knowing my business. But you know what? Time to put the ego aside and get some help. And I did, and I'm glad I did, because or else I wouldn't be here talking to you guys. So that has a lot to do with it. So that is it. That's usually the, the challenge, the obstacle, is that they just don't know. It's the unknown. They, they don't know what an easy process it is to just have the conversation. I mean, I think that's interesting. Even Hector. I mean, we, look, we all get it. It's, I, don't, I don't know if I want to tell you about all what I've got going on and all that. Hector wants to help you. And it's an easy call to make. The process is super easy. 940-453-3490. And like you always say, man, like the best thing about it, it's non-fee based. It's free to meet with him. Dude, that to me is the key, bro. That and Hector puts together a game plan, man. And whenever you're talking about finances or, or, you know, how to make money or how to save money, it's about a game plan. Can you put a game plan together? And Hector can do that for you. That's easy. I'm telling you, it is easy. When you think Hector, you think easy. That's an interesting phrase. But what he does, <laughs> he makes it easy for you. 940-453-3490. So let's take this trip around the block, man, because there are some really interesting stories that are out there. First of all, I got to tell you, because I'm stoked about this. We are recording the podcast, and then we're jumping in the vehicle, and we are headed to Asheville, North Carolina, because I am off Thursday, Friday, and everybody, the station, it's a station holiday for President's Day, so I actually don't work again until Tuesday. So we are going to Asheville, North Carolina for the weekend, and I think I've told you this, but Asheville for years and years has been known as Beer City, USA, so much so that according to the city's tourism website, there are 41 breweries in Asheville for a city with a population of 95,000. That seems like a lot, bro. <laughs> I mean, think about that. I'm just, I'm what, just what is that, like half the size of Frisco or less? Yeah. I mean, imagine if Frisco, Texas had 41 breweries just in Frisco. 
Good Lord. I mean, that's incredible. And for comparison's sake, like the Birmingham area where I live, we have about 20 breweries and there's 1.2 million people that live in the Birmingham area. But Birmingham has a really, Birmingham's one of the bottom five states for breweries per capita. But man, I, I am stoked. And I was looking at this yesterday and it's, I mean, there's so many breweries and so much beer <laughs> where you got to pace yourself. And it's literally, they have a brewing district that our hotels is a less than five minute drive from the brewing district. You can just jump in an Uber, hey, drop me on this corner and just walk up the street. And for the next two miles is just breweries left and right. Jeez, that's a lot of, uh, that's a lot of stiff competition when they're one right next to nor to the other. Or do people just tend to flow? I don't know, man. I mean, to me, there are some, some of the best breweries in the country are in Asheville. I mean, there, there are some that everybody knows that make really, really good beer. But I would imagine, you know, there are some old school breweries that are there that like one of them has been there, I think, since like the early 2000s called Highland Brewery. And I've had some of their stuff before. I get it. it it's, it's solid for what it is. But in this new world of craft beer, you know, people are making like False Idol and, and Odd Muse and Celestial and Dallas and Turning Point that are really doing some experimental things and creative stuff and using different hops and all that. And some of these older breweries are just like, hey, man, we were here first. We make these core things really good. So come by and have some. And they don't really branch out too much, which is fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm very curious to get here because this is in the Smoky Mountains. And from what I understand, like once you get into that area, you, you see mountains on the horizon and stuff like that, which is always a beautiful I love that view. There's something about just being surrounded by mountains that's pretty badass. I was going to say, so you get the beer and you also get the scenery. Yeah, and apparently, and I, I didn't know this because I'm a beer guy, as everybody knows, but some of the people that live around here are like, oh, yeah, Asheville's great. Like, the food there is insane. I'm like, really? And so apparently it's also a big foodie town, and they do a lot of farm-to-table stuff there. So may have to try... It's like, man, I, you know, you, you got to be careful because if your goal is to hit 15 breweries and let's say that we each just do a flight at each brewery, if the flight's 15 bucks, that's $30. I mean, the next thing you know, you can end up spending, you know, 500 plus dollars just on beer <laughs> plus food. So, OK, let me let me let me help you all out. Shut the hell up, dude. You're a big time ra <laughs> fucking radio host who's got a top 20 show. Spend some fucking money for once in your life. Jesus. You don't spend it on clothes. You don't spend it on anything but running shoes. You don't celebrate man-made holidays like Valentine's Day that much. Spend some fucking money, man. <laughs> I will. I mean, I, I mean, come on. We got the hotel, you know. I mean, we'll have a nice dinner or something. I mean, it's going to be fun. But generally Jeez. speaking, when I do this, no, I go to. I gotta teach you. I gotta teach you how to be rich. <laughs> I'm not rich. That's the thing. So, well, relatively speaking, you're rich for you. No, I, so, I, I do, I do fine, and I enjoy it. And right. I'm so not going I gotta, to. I gotta teach. I gotta teach you how to, how to, how to enjoy some of the finer things in life. <laughs> Otherwise, you might as well be drinking eight. You're right. You're right. I, I might as well. Troy Aikman's beer. But yeah. no, we're going to go. We're going to have a good time. And I've already been looking online and, and I've got a list of breweries I want to hit and all that. So I'm stoked about that. I'm, I'm super excited to get there this afternoon. I think it's going to be great. And, you know, what? one of the things is, is the lady enjoys beer. And part of it is she got into it because of me, but she is very knowledgeable on it, too. I mean, her beer knowledge is, is very high. And, and we just something we really enjoy doing. We just love doing it. It's a lot of fun for us. So I'm excited about this weekend. The yeah, other should thing, be, man. The other thing is you sent me this article and it, it basically it talks about a dry January. And I think a lot of people have heard about this 
in regards to alcohol where a lot of people will say, I'm not going to drink for the month of January. And then they just start drinking again. You sent me an article about a guy who did a dry January a month without social media. Yeah, baby. Come on. Show us how strong you really are. See, I've gotten this question before where somebody, somebody asked me, like, which could you do? Like, how hard would it be for you to do either like a month without alcohol or a month without social media? I'll tell you straight up, as much as I enjoy beer and all that, I could easily do a month without alcohol. That would not be difficult for me. Like some people think because I enjoy beer so much that I have a, a, like I drink all the time and I'm constantly drinking and that's just not how it is. And it would not bother me at all. And I've actually thought there may be a month this year where I try to do that, where I just go a month without beer. We'll see. Cause I, I, I do like, I like beer for the art of it. And I like trying the new stuff and the different hops and all that. So it'd be real easy for me to cut down if I wanted to a month without social media. I'll be flat out honest. If I had to choose one, I'd go a month without alcohol before I went a month without social media. I see that kind of surprises me. And I understand that you drink, like most people think you're just pounding beers, but I yeah, mean, no. Matt's, Matt's like, oh, I smell this herb here and I taste yeah. this hop. And, <laughs> and let me swivel it around my mouth and oh, this sounds flowery. This smells flowery. Yeah, it's got a dankness to it. Yeah. See, he's doing yeah. all that stuff. I mean, he's draining it from a very sophisticated perspective. He's not just opening up his mouth and guzzling beer. Like, yeah, you know, right. I'm not the, drinking because I want to get drunk. I'm drinking because I enjoy, I enjoy the craft of the beer and the way that it's made, and that's something I love. That yeah. I love that community and I love that industry, and that's just a big thing for me. Right. So that's why even I thought uh, you might take beer over social media, but hell, social media, huh? Well, this is the thing: is that. I'm not addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted to social media. Are you? I, I think a, so. Yeah, because this is a revelation. I don't think I've, I've, uh, I don't think I've, I don't think I thought that because, and here's why, because I know you're, you're, you, you prep for your show, cool. Yeah. And then I, and I know that you enjoy the reading about beer, drinking beer, going to visit breweries and stuff. You're not a person necessarily who sits at the house. You're out and about. And then I know that you like to read a lot, and then you like to watch TV. Yeah. Episodic TV. So to me, that would seem like you would have enough stuff to fill in the social media hours where you wouldn't miss it as much as some other folks. Well, here's the thing is like I could easily just delete Facebook. I wouldn't even notice that it was gone. And I could probably as easily get rid of Instagram. Twitter is the thing that. And part of it is doing what I do. If I did not do this job, if I was not doing even the podcast, but obviously doing a daily sports talk radio show, I get obsessed that I'm missing something. That, that there's something that's out there that people want to talk about on the show and I'm going to miss it. And I am on Twitter. I mean, I, I, I'm on Twitter constantly. I, I probably check Twitter at least every hour <laughs> unless I'm sleeping. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I probably check it more often than that. Yeah, and it's probably more often than that. Like, like I mean, it, it's it, from, I'll tell you this, from the time I wake up until at the end of the show, I'm, I'm literally on Twitter nonstop. You know, and I check it and I scroll through and I'm like, okay, did somebody put out a tweet? Is there a story? Is there something that can give me an idea of a segment? Anything like that. And then I try to take a break from when I leave the station to when I, I drive home and I try. But then when I get home, I'm like, okay, on my drive, did I miss anything? You know, and, and that can be a, like, I try at times to put my phone away at night and I'll put it like on do not disturb so that I'm, I'm and there are times where I just put it in a different room. <laughs> but then I'll go use the bathroom and I'll go while I'm in there. And I'm like, okay, did I miss anything? Is anything? And that's when I talk about like, I'm addicted to, I'm not addicted to social media. I'm addicted to Twitter and I'm addicted to this idea that I'm going to miss something that makes my show better. 
All right, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I you're think that's a better way of phrasing it. You're using it as a work resource, allegedly. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and that's the thing. Is like I'm not always out on there tweeting out, but man, it's what's the greatest mm. news aggregator ever? Yes. Yes, it is. And, and for what we do, I mean, that's the thing is, it, it's just, it's such a, a tool. It really is, man. And that's the thing is, I, I don't know that I could go a month without Twitter. I don't know how I would do that. I mean, I get, I get segment ideas off Twitter probably every day. Yeah, I do. Or, you know, I'm, I'm reading stuff. Like I said, it's yeah. a great aggregator. And so it, it puts stuff, uh, I mean, I spend a lot of time reading stuff on it every day. I mean, honestly, I literally, I could get rid of every other social media app, and I don't have a lot. Like, I don't do Snapchat. I don't do TikTok. I rarely ever post on Facebook. And I, I mean, I went, I almost went a month without getting on Facebook just because when the Cowboys lost, I knew everybody's going to be bitching and complaining about that and saying stuff that wasn't even true, and I don't want to read it. So I was like, whatever. And then I forgot I had Facebook because I just made a point of not getting on there ever. And so... And like I said, Instagram, I mean, you look at my Instagram, I've never really, it's just pictures of beer where I'm like, man, whatever. But that's part of it. Like with what we do and being in the media and having a radio show and even with the podcast, you know, we put clips of stuff out on social media so that you guys can retweet it. And, and that, that helps us and it helps you kind of have an idea of what we're doing. And then like with my radio show, I, I interact with listeners and I, I put stuff out there that's, that's, it'd be really difficult to eliminate completely all of social media with what we do oh yeah absolutely um it'd make it a lot more a lot more difficult i think um if, if we eliminate social media and you know the thing about social media is you know it it allowed for for me and you what i think is saying is if you follow the right people based on what you're interested in it allows all the stuff that they're reading to bring to your attention because they retweet it and it ends up in your in your uh, in your feed and, yeah. and all of that and and so you know because I spend I literally spend much of my day reading now, I don't read a bunch of books like Matt although I'm, I've I've increased my reading total but I spend a bulk of my day just reading various articles various this various that uh, to to um, to bring more insight into what we're doing here and and all the other stuff I do yeah see and that's basically what I do I mean I I generally I will read for probably half an hour or so just like leisure reading in the morning a variety of different things and then I come into my little office and I and I'm for two and a half two hours before the show I'm doing the same thing where, where I'm on Twitter and I'm linking to articles I'm reading a variety of different articles about whatever it is and you know you send me a lot of stuff but I, I I'm like that man I mean I'm just a reader of information trying to you know you're doing your research and building stuff and building segments and you read 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 i mean it's yeah social media be t twitter would be very 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 difficult to eliminate from my life and i couldn't do Dude. it I, I couldn't go a month without twitter with what with the way my <laughs> life is right now i'm flat out telling you if i had to pick one i'd pick twitter over alcohol ha and there we have breaking news yeah i mean that's just how it is the other thing and i don't even know how you discovered this you texted me this thing yesterday, and it's Kyler Murray's Twitter, the official at K1, Kyler Murray's verified account, and you sent me a screenshot. You are blocked. Kyler Murray has blocked you. And I'm like, dude, you know how I find that out? I, um, how do I want to say this? Whenever he released his statement the other day, it popped up on my feed that, you know, Kyler Murray, somebody was responding to. I said, oh, I wonder what he said. And so I clicked on it and it said, 
tweet not available or something. I go, well, that's all right. So I clicked on something else. It said tweet not available. I said, oh, well, I'll just go to his page and see what it is. Lo and behold, I clicked on it. You are blocked. And I, I literally started laughing. I'm like, I literally don't remember ever tweeting anything, you know, that would make somebody mad enough to block me on Twitter. And I certainly don't remember tweeting it about Kyler Murray. I don't even really even talk about Kyler Murray unless I said something about him during a game. Yeah. But the Cardinals won that game, and I don't know why I would be critical of him or anything else that would be so egregious that he'd be like, oh, I got to block this guy. And so I found it funny more than anything. Like, dude, trust me, dog. I, I, I don't care all that much. That is – that's – it's strange. It's, I wonder what it was – and who knows? You never know. I mean, maybe it was. He might have just blocked a bunch of reporters. He could have been. He could have gone through and said, I'm blocking everybody in Dallas because I don't want to read their stuff. Could be. Could be. I don't know. You'd have to uh, go in and, and, and I don't know how you could find out if he's blocked anybody else. I don't know how you would do that. I don't know. That, it, I don't care that much. But it, it was just shocking and funny to me because um, I don't think I've ever been blocked by a high profile person. But then again, maybe I wouldn't know. Like, I, I didn't know he blocked me. Like, yeah. Have, have I been blocked for a year or two? <laughs> or is it just the last month or two or a day or two? I have no idea. Yeah, the only famous person that I've ever been blocked by is Samantha Ponder. And I tweeted at her twice. And I think I've told this story before because, my, you know, my lady friend will point this out too. I notice women's shoes. I don't know why. But I like the shoes that women wear because a lot of the times they're really colorful or they're a weird design or something. And I think I like that. I, w I wish men's shoes kind of I wish we had a more wild variety at times that we had access to like they do. And Ponder was wearing some really cool heels on TV one day. And I tweeted whatever. It was something about like, man, love those shoes or are they heels? Whatever they are that at some Samantha Ponder's wearing on countdown this morning. They look great. She blocked me. That was it. Now, she might have blocked you because she might have been amongst the women who are like, um, focus on what I'm saying, not comment on what I'm wearing. Okay, well, then don't wear bright colored neon stuff on television that attracts the eye. I'm just saying, and I don't know this, I'm just surmising. That could have been it. And I'm just, like, to me, anybody's going to look at, at something that really pops, you know what I mean? I mean, if you're wearing real, it doesn't matter if you're a man or woman, whatever you are. Like, if you, like, anybody, like, if I have a shirt that's almost like a neon color, if I wear that around, you don't see a lot of people wearing neon colored stuff. Like, you, somebody would glance and say, man, that dude's wearing a really bright shirt. Okay, whatever. I like bright colors. I don't know. But hopefully, I've always hoped that she would come around. I wish she covered more college football, because if she came to SEC Media Days, I'd ask her straight up. You know, why did, why did you block me for this? Like, why did that offend you? Man, she probably don't even remember that. And she'd be like, oh, I don't know. I, th I guess you thought, I was like, oh, I'm just curious. Or if I ever have a chance to interview her ever, that will be one of the things that I ask her. Because yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by why that would cause such a reaction. And you could be right. It may be that she just got tired of everybody commenting on what she was wearing all the time. I meant it in a positive way because I really did think that those were really bad. I mean, I, I do that. There's probably... I'll do it this weekend. I'll be like, oh, look at that, that lady's shoes over there. Aren't those cool? Right, right, right. And she'll look at me, and, and she'll be like, you notice the weirdest stuff. I'll become an observant human. I notice things. I bet that person is excited that I noticed their shoes and commented on them. Or not. Or not, <laughs> you know, apparently. And then the final thing that I have for you in the block, and this is something 
It's going to make many of you sad, I know. And it, 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 maybe it'll turn around. But the avocado, as many of what? you know, the United States has put a halt on the import. They have banned, for now, the import of avocados from Mexico because really? a U.S. official was threatened by organized crime in Michoacan, which is the biggest avocado-producing state in Mexico, thousands of tons of avocados have stopped entering the country. As such, and this is everywhere, but obviously in Texas, where Tex-Mex restaurants are a dime a dozen, a lot of people are preparing for the shortage. You will notice in the, in the short term a massive price increase when you order guacamole at restaurants or avocados at the store. And then if this continues for, I mean, maybe even a week or two longer, they will stop offering guacamole completely at Mexican food restaurants. What? Yeah. Because it's, it, they can't afford it. It, it. The cost of it for them to get it from the limited amount that is coming in, it would just make the menu item sky high and it's pointless. All right. I may go get some today. I'm telling Table you. Table guac today. Might have to go do it today before it's over. Like for one of the food distributors who sells fresh produce to restaurants and taquerias in Dallas said the boxes of avocados that we used to buy for $30 are now being sold to us for $70. Wow. And so if they're getting more than doubled on their price, they're going to turn around and sell it to restaurants. They're still trying to make their margin. So it's just, it's just going to get out of control. And I mean, they're talking about this one distributor in particular says that they have more than 30 clients that are all restaurants in the DFW area that we are not going to buy avocados from somewhere else because they don't have the same quality as Mexican avocados and our customers don't deserve a bad product. So this is going to be a part where they're, they're just going to stop buying avocados and, and getting access to them at all. Wow. Now, you know, what's interesting about that is I'm not a huge guac guy. I like it. I don't love it. Yeah. But every now and then, I love the table guac. Just, you know, every now and then, it's like, wow, yep. I forget it's great. And then I'm good for about ah, six months, and then I go, you know what? Some quality table guac would be really good today. Yeah. And then I go have some. Uh, so, no, matter of fact, I've got some. I, this is a rare time that I have some guac in my fridge because I was making some, uh, I call them Taylor burritos. And I said, you know mm. what? I think I want a little spicy guac. And so I went and got some. And, uh, and and I got those individual servings, and I put the ones I don't use, I end up uh, putting them in the refrigerator and freezing them so that they don't go bad. Yeah, man, this whole thing is wild. And, and I'm, there's multiple. So Pepe and Mito's, which is a restaurant in Deep Ellum, their owner said, we can't afford it if it's too expensive. If we raise the price, customers won't order it. Matito's, I think all of us are familiar with Matito's. There's one there in Oaklawn area. Their general manager said, we'll try to adjust there are canned goods. We have never used them, and our goal is to never use them, but we'll do everything we can to have avocados in our restaurant. So this is going to get really interesting, especially in an area like Dallas, again, because there's just so many restaurants that use avocados in, in an area like that. And what about those snooty people in Oak Lawn and Highland Park? Who want avocado toast every day? Yeah, exactly. I mean, avocado toast. I mean, I, can you imagine you you go to you go to a Mexican food restaurant and they're 
there your main dish is like 20 bucks or whatever and they go oh you can order the appetizer guacamole it's 45 dollars <laughs> I mean, I'd be like, hell no, I'm not doing that. Because you can't make guacamole. No guacamole that anybody serves to you in a restaurant is just a avocado. I mean, it's multiple right, avocados. Right, 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 right. So, man, this is just, I thought this was wild, too, because the halt on imports was put into place, I think, on Saturday before the Super Bowl. And then Super Bowl Sunday, you see that commercial for avocados from Mexico. Dude, and I was like, man, that crazy. ad company just screwed up. But how, how do they know that this was going to be a thing that happened? They didn't, man. It's just what it is. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine this. But I've noticed that, like, if you go to the store right now, you can tell the price of avocados is way higher than it used to be. And it's only going to get worse unless the United States decides that, hey, so uh, cartels have run Mexico forever. Can we just get our damn avocados, government? <laughs> I mean, I get it. I like it. You're backing this dude from the USA. I, I, it's it, but come on. I don't know that this the car, I don't know that the cartels will care at all about any of this. Cartels ain't gonna care. I mean, what is this going to change in the grand scheme of things? Other than we all now can't eat guacamole when we go to Mexican food restaurants. Exactly. That's why I'm like, I might need to go today and get some. However you said it. <laughs> God, please record yourself when they come to the table ordering. <laughs> Like some Please do that. Or you can order it how like I'll say it sometimes and see what they do. What is it? You know how it is. They come to your table and they say, yes, may I take your order? You say, uh, yeah, can we get a side of the cockamole? I'm black, man. It'd be dickamole, not cockamole. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, then that's why I would never say it, man. But then they look at you and they go, wait, what? And, they, and they're like, yeah. And they, and they go, did you mean the, the guacamole? I'm like, yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> now, that's funny coming from somebody from a white dude. That's not funny coming from a brother. See, it's all about wordplay, man. I used to do that when I was on the radio years ago, just to see if anybody would notice it. I, I used to work at, not that, but I used to, I used to work at a music radio station like 15 years ago. And right. Alanis Morissette would have a song coming up and, and I'd be in my stop set and I'd, and I'd be blah, blah, blah. And coming up next, we've got, uh, oh, one of the classic singers from the mid nineties. Isn't it ironic? It's Anis Morissette right now on Mix 94.7. <laughs> and I would just say Anis Morissette to see if anybody would notice that I didn't say Alanis. Cause if you say it really fast, it kind of sounds... And I, every once in a while, somebody would be like, did you just say anus Morissette? I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know why I do stuff. I'm just curious to see how closely people are listening. Uh, clean your ears up. It's just something <laughs> dumb and stupid. But yeah. I, I will say this, though, man. If you're looking for something that is neither dumb nor stupid and you do like things in your mouth like avocados, if you, ha <laughs> if you can't get your avocado fix, get your biltong fix. Because biltong is still out there and you can still order it. They'll ship it right to your house. Bruise Biltong is the way to go. B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G.com. Bruisebiltong.com. Similar to beef jerky, but it is not beef jerky. It's more savory. It's more tender. Mmm, it's delicioso. <laughs> I think it's, uh, you know, I got to tell you, man, when we first got it, I was like, uh, you know, it's like beef jerky. What does that mean? I'm, I mean, it's all kind of the same. And I yeah. took a bite of that sliced Biltong, and I was like, oh, my God. This is different. I mean, this is like tender. This is like chewy. This is like, it's like delicious. And uh, I mean, y'all know I like to watch my weight. So it, it really works for me because a two ounce bag is like 
240 calories, I think, 200 calories. Yeah. But more important, it's like 30 grams of protein. It's got no carbs in it. That really fits the way I like to eat. And so it's a great snack for me. Yeah, it's fantastic, man. I'm, I'm a, I love it. I really, really do. And I've had, as I've told the story before, my parents, my brothers, they're like, man, is, is it really good? Or you just say, it's like, it, no, it is. Like, I, I order it myself. I have it delivered to my house myself. I go to bruisebiltong.com and I use the promo code JAM15 so that I can get 15% off my order. You should do the same. Biltong is badass. Eat it. Also, of course, as Jacques has been telling you about for a long time, JR and his guys at Freeway Tire Shop. I'll tell you this. Now I live in Alabama. I don't have access to Freeway Tire Shop. Had to go get an oil change and just some basic stuff done on my car yesterday. And I'd been asking around because with Freeway Tire Shop, you already know. I know I can walk in. JR, I trust him. I trust his work. I know he's going to give me quality work. Man, when you don't have that in your life, it, it's taking your car somewhere is one of those nerve-wracking things that you go, oh, can I trust this guy? Is it going to be quality work? Freeway Tire Shop, you know you're good. Yeah, matter of fact, I called JR yesterday, told him I need to bring my Honda in because I think I need a wheel alignment. And uh, he's like, yeah, bring it in around 9-ish. And uh, I'll get it taken care of for you. And, you know, the thing I like about him is, man, I told him I think I need a wheel alignment, but, you know, check it out. And so I trust him to, to diagnose whatever's wrong with it. And then, uh, you know, I trust him to use quality parts to fix it. I trust him to give me a fair price. That's really why I'm going to him. And then I trust him to stand behind his work, man. He does that consistently. He does. It's Freeway Tire Shop. It's just north of downtown Dallas at freewaytireshop.com. You go there, you can schedule an appointment, you can request a quote. All that is there for you at freewaytireshop.com. And, of course, and we've kind of mentioned this before, but I think that this is something that everybody could be able to do. If, if you need to go to Freeway Tire Shop, what you can do, drop your car with JR. It's, if it's something that you, isn't going to take too long, oil change, tire rotation, state inspection, stuff like that, then get an Uber and go right around the corner to Smokey John's Barbecue because they're not, what are they, like five minutes apart, if that? Yeah, bro. I mean, if it's, that. it's pretty close to where they are. And, and you can do both of those. And while you're getting your car worked on, you can enjoy the jam session bowl at Smokey John's Barbecue with your choice of made from scratch mac and cheese or mashed potatoes, your choice of two different types of meat, pick the toppings, drizzle it with Smokey John's Barbecue sauce. And the best part, not only is it awesome and delicious, it's on the secret menu and only available to jam session listeners, which I absolutely love that they did that for us. Dude, does it get any better than that, bro? No. To have something on the secret menu? I don't really think so, dog. I think that's where it's at. Um, I love it. And don't forget, man, if you live out of state and you want a little piece of Texas, you can go to Marketplace. You can order the rub. You can order the sauce that Matt likes to drink straight from the bottle. And, hey, it'll be there at your doorstep in a couple of days. SmokyJohns.com. Click on Smokey's Market. You can make that happen. I love the sauce. I, I'm telling you straight up, it is, it, it's probably my favorite barbecue sauce I've ever had. It, it's awesome. Everything there is fantastic. It's local. It's family-owned. You're going to love it. Go get the Jam Session Bowl. It's Smokey John's Barbecue right there off Mockingbird in Dallas. So before we wrap it up today, we've got to get into the story that many of you are going, are you guys going to talk about this? Are you guys going to address this? Yes, yes, we got it. We read it. We're aware of the weird-ass story involving the Dallas Cowboys, involving Rich Dalrymple, and it's very strange that he retired and two weeks later this story comes out. Dallas Cowboys paid $2.4 million over uh, Rich Dalrymple, the former PR director of the Cowboys, 
alleged cheerleader voyeurism. And there's a couple of different things here. First off is an incident that Rich Dalrymple allegedly walked into a cheerleader's locker room and then also that he had secretly filmed them as they changed clothes. And then there's another alleged event that Rich Dalrymple took upskirt photos of Charlotte Anderson Jones, of course, Jerry's daughter, in the war room during the draft in 2015. Those are both pretty shocking. Now, I, you know, I got to preface this by saying, man, these are very difficult stories uh, to read and, and to, to listen to and to talk about because um, I've known Rich for 25 years. And uh, Rich has um, always been great to me and helped me out in a bunch of different ways. And so uh, when, when you have a real relationship with people, it's, it's extremely difficult to, um, you know, to, to work with these. Because to, to me, all I've ever known is a great dude. And so you read this, and you're like, well, damn, what the fuck? I mean, but you, yeah. you got to do what you got. You got to do what you got to do. And, you know, you know, um, so it was it was a hard day for me. Personally, because, like I said, Rich and uh, Rich and I have actually been closer over the last few years than we were the previous. And we were cool then. But I mean, so it's a very difficult day for me to go through it. Um, although, you know, it is what it is. And people people do things and make poor decisions um, all the time that they regret. Um, and this was an interesting thing because, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, in the sense that the Cowboys say there was no wrongdoing fine, fine but we're going to settle out of court yeah. for $2.5 yeah. million. Now, sometimes you do settle because you're trying to avoid the bad publicity that comes with it, with, with arguing with people when it becomes out in the public. Right. Uh, so, you know, so I get that. I understand that. Now, this is just me, okay? I don't really believe the upskirt thing. And here's why I don't believe it. I don't believe it because I don't believe that. Let me see. How do I say this? This is just me. And I'm not saying that the dude is lying because you can see things and it'd be it not be what it appears to be. So I believe that he believes he saw what he saw. Yeah. But I don't believe that one person in all the United States can be watching the Cowboys war room. While Rich Dalrymple apparently takes upskirt shots of Jerry Jones's daughter. And nobody else see it. And when, it get, when they find out about it, that they look at the tape and they can't come to a conclusive decision. And here's the other day. You say what you want to about Jerry. But I think if that were true, that Charlotte, even if Jerry didn't, and I think Jerry would have because that's my daughter. When all else fails, that's yeah. still my daughter. That they would have fired him on the spot then. Um, if they really believed that it happened. And I don't think uh, I don't think it happened. I think he, you know, I think it maybe it appeared that that was the case. But I just can't believe that one person out of all the people watching that and everybody in the room, he's the only person who saw it. Yeah, man. And, and well, and see, that's again. He saw this on a video live stream. This is not somebody who was in the room. This right. this is not anybody associated with the Cowboys. This is somebody who noticed on the draft day war room video live stream that Dalrymple was doing this. And he said that he reached out from a sitting position behind her 
And he looked at the screen, touched the screen, and then did it again. And he goes, I have no doubt in my mind it was obvious. Now, here's the thing. He sent a Facebook message to Charlotte to alert her of this. But the reality about all of this is Rich Dalrymple cooperated 100% all the way through the process. And that's even been admitted that they never found anything whatsoever on his phone in regards to this. And they checked it. Again, with people that know how to do this, anything you've ever had on your phone, they can find it. They can find if you deleted it, all this types of stuff. They say that they hired an independent forensics company. They reviewed it. They pro- he provided his iPhone and iCloud passwords, and it was determined that no related videos or photos were present or had been deleted. Now, that's um, now this is all I'm going to say about that. I don't I don't necessarily doubt that. I just know that. And well, I don't know. I was going to say you can have uh, you can have your personal phone and your work phone, um, even if a lot of people don't know about your personal phone. Um, And so that's still not the end all be all. Although I guess you could say, hey, do you have a personal phone? If so, we need to look at that, too. And we need to look at your phone records and all that kind of stuff in a situation like this where you're really trying to get to the bottom of it. And I say that because I was dealing with a source a while back working on a very sensitive story. And he's and the source I was talking to, now check this out, man. The source I was talking to said, hey, I'm gonna send you some documents. And I said, hey, are you using a school issued phone or is this your personal phone? He says, it's my personal phone, dog, you know that. I said, no, I don't. <laughs> I said, I'm just looking out for you because if you send it on your school issued firm form, you know, you got those uh, Freedom yeah. of Infor- Information Act things, dude, and you aren't, you aren't covered at all. They'll know you sent it to me. I said, see how I'm looking out for you? He goes, yeah. Uh, but that's what I mean by just your personal phone and your private phone. But, uh, you know, without the, they got the metadata and they couldn't find it. And so, you know, I think it's just an, a, um, I mean, I don't know what to make of it other than the key to me would be, and the Cowboys didn't release it, the key to end all conversation would be the key card access thing. Like, how long were you in there? Were you in there like, and here's what happened, man. This is a good example. Were you in there like five seconds or five minutes? Because I was at the gym about three weeks ago, and it's a new gym that I've been going to. I've been there about a month. And I was going to the gym, and I was looking at my phone because uh, I hadn't really started my workout yet. And I, was, and I was went to the bathroom, and I walked in the restroom, and I go, I, don't, I go, why is the mirror over here? Did they change something? And I looked around and I go, oh, shit, I'm in the women's restroom. And I ran out. And, you know, so if you had if I had used some access to get in there, you could have seen that I was literally in there, you know, six seconds or whatever. And like, oh, he must have recognized he wasn't supposed to be there and he left immediately. But they didn't release that that key code data. So it makes you wonder. Yeah. And. Again, that allegation with the cheerleaders locker room is that they they heard somebody entering in and the cheerleaders screamed out, we're in here. And they thought the guy left. But according to the cheerleaders account, one cheerleader alleges seeing a man several minutes later holding a cell phone pointed at three other cheerleaders. She states that she approached him and recognized the man as Dalrymple. The team was aware of this incident, launched an investigation that day. And this is the one where they interviewed eight people Four cheerleaders, two witnesses, a security guard outside the room, and Dalrymple and all of this. Dalrymple is completely denied, denied, denied all these allegations, submitted his iPhone, did all of this stuff, and that they determined 
nothing was present or had been deleted. As you said, who knows? But uh, that that's one instance. And the fact that they settled, yes, it's... Like you said, it could have been for any given reason, but anytime you see a settlement like this, you just kind of wonder, was there something there? You didn't want it to get out, so you settled. Yeah, now, you know, the other interesting tidbit is when all this came out, I called one of my one of my top sources and I go, is this the thing you were working on this summer where you were like, it's too hot, I can't even give you a little bit? Yeah. He goes, yep. <laughs> I go, wow. I go, yeah, okay. I'm glad you didn't give me any because I'd have been on this like a dog with a bone. Oh, no doubt. And, uh, and, uh, and, but, you know, so that's not really what I do anymore. I'm more about telling stories as opposed to breaking news. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll break some if it falls in my lap, but it's really more about telling stories these days. So I, I found it interesting because there's a lot of, I knew this dude was working on something big and he told me he was working on something big uh, because I could tell from the, from sometimes I'd roll through and, and he'd be like, hold tight. And normally he just had a conversation while I'm there, but he was like, I'll be right back. <laughs> because um, this was that this was that uh, sensitive of information. Yeah, man. And, and again, who knows about any of this? These are all allegations and Dalrymple's denied them all. But the upskirt one is the one that you just it, it, see. This one seems easy to me. Because if this dude was sitting at home in Louisiana watching the Cowboys video live stream, there's got to be a video of it somewhere. Put it out there. Yeah. And let all of us go back and look at it. And I just find it strange because it's not like this is the only person that was watching the live stream and nobody else noticed anything. Right. Um, You know, it's also sets up some very interesting questions, bro. You know, why was he a... And I'm not saying he should or shouldn't have been, but, you know, these are questions Jerry needs to answer. Why did you feel comfortable allowing him to stay another six years? And the yeah. answer could be, well, because we found no evidence that, you know, he had, he had done what we, he was accused of doing. Okay, why, would, why did you settle then? Um, there's a lot of follow-up questions that need to be asked. And here's the deal, though. I bet we don't see Jerry Jones again until right before the draft. Yeah, that's probably of, true. At, at the end of April. Yeah. Um, you know, and so you're not going to get those questions answered. And how about this, man? If he goes on the flagship for anything, let's see what kind of questions they ask. Probably not these. <laughs> we'll see, but and then everybody will get butt hurt and they'll defend each other and it'll be ridiculous. Like it like it always seems to be with those guys. But you had yeah. you were telling me that you had an interesting conversation about all this with your class. Um, yeah, it's, um, I talked, you know, I told my class when I walked in, this has been a great week for, um, real life journalism and, you know, what, what we can talk about and get real understanding about. And I said, there's some things that we talk about in, in this class that really relate to this story. And so in my class, uh, because it is my class, I have about 40 journalism tenets that I make them learn and we test over them because they're to me, they're the essence of journalism. And there's stuff like this is a job of inconvenience. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Real world stuff that they can use. So I said, I said, there's one. I said, this is a great story by Don Van Adder. He's a great investigative journalist. I said, but there were some mistakes made on the local level, which is why all the local reporters were shocked by this story. I go, um, 
Look through the tenets and find the one that I'm talking about as it relates to this story. And uh, this one young lady named Courtney goes, oh, everything happens for a reason. Find out the reason. I said, exactly. I said, so Rich Dalrymple retires abruptly. Find out the reason. I go, I'm not telling y'all to do anything I wouldn't do. And so I picked up my phone. I said, look at this. I just heard about this last Wednesday right after it happened. And I sent a text to somebody that said, hey, is his health okay? And the person answered back, yeah, I think he just burnt out on the job after 32 years. I said, now I'm not, a, I'm not covering the beat anymore, so I just left it at that. I said, but do you see what my initial reaction was? My initial reaction was, this seems awfully odd. There must be some reason behind it. I said, but what happens is you can cover beat so long that you don't have that same, you don't, you don't push yourself the same way on every story. But literally everything that happens in the building, there's a reason why it happened. You got to find out the reason. And I go, if people had asked more than just one person what the reason was, then they, they wouldn't have got the story that Van Atta got because they didn't have time. But they might have gotten an inkling of it and started to work on it. I said, the other thing that happened is, okay, this, this pillar of your organization for 32 years retires. Nobody issues a statement saying what a great job he's done. You know, that yeah. doesn't strike you as odd. Yeah. You know, there's no little video montage. Hey, enjoy retirement on the beach where you get, you know, Aikman and Romo and Emmett and all those guys to, to say something about happy retirement. There's none of that. Well, if you put all that together, you would go, oh, okay, there must be something. Maybe his health is not good or somebody in his family's health. Now, I'm not saying you had to think it was this. Yeah, yeah. But you just have to go, there's something deeper to this. There's something there's just got to be something deeper. And so um, to me, that was all the interesting part and made for a good journalism discussion. In addition to, okay, you got Jerry at the podium. I'll be Jerry. Ask me your question at the news conference. And it was a really good, good teaching moment, man, because some of them were like, um, they'd ask a question. I go, well, I told you, you can't ask yes or no questions. You just asked a yes or no question. I'll rephrase it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Or they do that. Or, you know, this happened a couple of times. People said, oh, uh, so-and-so just asked my question. I said, okay, what's the lesson there? And then when, with the blank stares, I got the lesson there is you better have more than one question ready because <laughs> we're, we're in a press conference and Zoom situation. And so, you know, the, the landscape has kind of changed. And so I go, when I was asking question Mike McCarthy, usually I had the eighth question. Well, the odds are somebody before me is going to answer one or two of them that I've got. So I used to have three or four questions in case it came to me. So I would never be stuck with the dumb face. Yeah. And so but all of those were really good teaching lessons about real world. By the time we threw in a couple of more real world examples yesterday. Yeah, those are fun, man. That's that's the way I was telling you. I had a some media writing class or whatever that I took in college where our professor did something like that. And. I always thought that was a great way to learn. Like you're not actually in the real world, but when you walk in here, he had created a fake city. We called it Hamilton beach because like, that's the name of like a uh, blenders and stuff and toasters. And like first day of class, he's like, here's what we're going to do this semester. What do you want the name of your fake city to be? And somebody goes, how about Hamilton beach? I have a toaster called that or whatever. And so uh, we, we were residents of Hamilton beach. We were reporters in this city and every day we'd come into class They'd be like, all right, breaking news. Here's what's happening in the city today. Who do you guys want to talk to and all that? And we had to ask for the right people and ask the right questions and then write a story based on that. 
And there were times where we'd get a poor grade and he'd be like, well, you guys didn't ask to talk to this person. That's who you need to look for when you're on a scene like that. And so I thought that was fascinating because it really, it was like a simo. I mean, obviously we were just sitting in a classroom doing this, but it was every day was basically a press conference that we were walking into where we had to learn how to ask questions correctly. Uh, well, you know, part of what I was trying to teach him yesterday is, um, you know, I go, what's the most important trait a journalist needs? And they answered, you know, curiosity. Said, yeah, that's on the Family Feud top 100. That's probably answer number two. And uh, they're like persistence. I go, you know, that's probably a number three or number four answer. But I said, y'all missing a big one. They said, what? I said, the ability to think. <laughs> like literally, the ability to think. Um, about Think about what question you need to ask. Think about who yeah. you need to talk to. Think about all this stuff. I said, people break stories because they simply ask people sooner than everybody else. What's going on with this? And, you know, if you learn to think, you can own whatever beat you're in or whatever business you're in because you're out thinking people. It's a good way to put it, my friend. And that makes for a fantastic episode of this podcast. Hell yeah, it does. So thanks to all of you for listening. Also, just a quick programming note. Since I am going to be out of town, I will be gone all weekend there will be no podcast dropping on Monday. We are going to take that day off. And of course, keep in mind, no podcast on Monday, but we will be back with our regular podcast next week on Wednesday and Friday. Monday is President's Day. A lot of you guys are off and your schedules will be different anyway. So don't freak out. No podcast coming on Monday. We will have our next podcast on Wednesday, February 23rd. You guys have a great next few days. And as I mentioned, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.